Hello everybody and welcome back to a very special anniversary edition of Kavam, a Doctor Who podcast where well, you should know by now we talk about the DVDs and Blu-rays and Doctor Who in general and this edition marks a year since we first started our first episode when we discussed the season 8 Blu-ray I believe uh, almost 12, month, oh, 12 months ago back in mid-April, 21st of April I think it was last year. So it's very exciting to um, celebrate the anniversary albeit maybe not with quite the story we were expecting it to be. Um, it's going to be fun though and I'm joined by my three trusty guests of course Ryan and Charlie who've been here since the beginning and Bill who joined um, within the last year. Um, so Ryan are you excited to be celebrating our first anniversary of the podcast? Yeah it's certainly definitely going to be exciting. I wish it was for talking about a more memorable episode but yeah hey, those are the breaks I suppose. <laughs> well exactly exactly yeah and Charlie I mean do you remember much of our first podcast? I, I, I feel like it's probably awful because we didn't know what we were doing but do you, do you remember it like a year ago? Yes um, <laughs> it was it was interesting because we were talking about the season 8 box set and I didn't have the season 8 box oh, set. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah I've, uh, I've, I've since got it but um, yes. yeah I remember I didn't really have much to say about that but we talked about uh, like cover art and stuff. Oh yeah that. we did didn't we? Yes I remember now yes that was good fun and Bill what was your I can't actually remember which was your first episode you joined us was it Evil of the Daleks or was it just after that? Um, I think no that was it I think the first one that I was on was the season 23 one ah yes yeah. that was it um, yeah yeah um yeah i remember that was um that was a lot of fun discussing trial of a time lord yeah an uh, interesting season <laughs> yeah it's fair to say and some interesting features as well yeah yeah exactly um, exactly yeah no it's just been a lot of fun um obviously i've not been here for as long as the rest of you have but you know even just these past few months it's been really a lot of fun to just uh be here and talk about episodes and uh home media releases and special features and all sorts yeah it's been really good yeah exactly and i feel like today we're kind of going to cover off a bit of everything that this podcast does is because we're going to talk about an episode we're going to talk about some blu-rays and some special features and all that sort of stuff we're kind of going to cover a bit of everything that this podcast does today um but quickly let's just go around around the around the room as it is i'm seeing you on a screen so we're going to say around the room ryan what's been your favorite thing that we've chatted about on kavan in the last year if that's not too big a question to ask Oh, blimey. Um, or your favourite episode or his favourite favorite thing we've done? Well, I think when we were talking about season 17, I mean, any time we, yeah. we were talking about season 17, I'd say that was certainly a lot of fun. Got to shoehorn a reference to Arato into any podcast, of course. Yeah. Who can forget that, of course? Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. It's become the running gag in every... Yeah, it's true. That we, do, we always mm. tend to bring up Arato. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though I was as you know I've already documented my very frustrated thoughts on Doc 2 Flux (laughs) all the episodes we've done talking about it as frustrating as most of the episodes were I still had fun talking about (laughs) it I think that was awesome I think those episodes were definitely also highlights so definitely those Mm. ones in particular Mm. yeah exactly what about you Charlie any particular highlights of the year uh, I was just going to say season 17 as well. I feel it's <laughs> a lot of fun talking about some in more, the more interesting, uh, more divisive side of Doctor Who. Mm. Um, but besides that, probably 
I really did enjoy our second episode ever. I think it was our animation discussion. That was oh good. yeah, that was really good. Yeah, yeah, chatting about all the different animation releases. I mean, it's a shame that we're not adding many more to that. Really, most likely, yeah. is it? Um, yeah. No, that was a lot of fun. Absolutely, yeah, yeah and as well as um, probably slating the Web of Fear animation. Yeah, um, that, that was that was yeah. oh, that was a fun moment. Absolutely. <laughs> and see, uh, season twenty-four Blu-ray box set. I did enjoy discussing that as well. That was good. Yeah, yeah, no, there's lots, lots. Yeah, I, I forget all these great moments we've had chatting about yeah. stuff, slating stuff, praising some things. But, you know, I don't want to say we're a negative Doc 2 podcast because we're not generally. Um, and Phil, since you've joined us, what has been your one of your favourite sort of things to discuss on the podcast? Um, well, I think like um, like Ryan was saying, like the, the Doc 2 Flux episode reviews, they, they yeah. were good fun to do. I mean, um, regardless of our like, actual thoughts on the actual series like mm. it was still fun to discuss each episode every week with each other and to just kind of um talk about like if we if like a lot of the time i think with um a lot of these podcasts we tend to have more or less kind of the same kind of opinions as each other um or at least very similar ones and so i think it's kind of good to um with those reviews especially to kind of um to see what we agreed on and what we didn't kind of Mm -hmm. agree on perhaps um but yeah those like one element of this podcast since I joined that has really stood out but also I think the one we did um about our favorite special um yeah that really stood out to me as well exactly yeah yeah it was it was like um like the ones we picked were really kind of like showing just how like different and varied the Doctor's special features can be. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a really fun one. I definitely enjoyed that. And I think my one highlight just before we move on was probably our Sharder episode we did. The very quickly out of date Sharder episode we did early on where we discussed the many editions of Sharder, which was great fun to look at and discuss and analyse how good or bad these various versions were. And as we said on that podcast at the time, inevitably it would be out of date. And just like two months later, they announced the season 17 box set. And so it was out of date. Um, So, you know, maybe one day when there's another three more versions of Sharder, we'll do another one. Um, Or we'll have to find another, I don't know, is there another story that's had many, many different releases? I feel like Spared from Space has had quite a few. But I can't think of many others that have had enough releases to create its own podcast on. It <laughs> will inevitably get released again when season yeah. seven gets announced. Exactly. So that could be the fourth or fifth release. Who knows how many it's had. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, there's a, there was a VHS, then the DVD, then the special edition DVD, then the Blu-ray slash Steelbook, I think they did at the time. And then there's going to be another Blu-ray one of it. So a few, a few to discuss. But anyway, that's for another podcast, I'm sure. Um, we continuously say that's a Pertwee story. And talking of Pertwee villains, we come on to Legend of the Sea Devils. Um, of course, rather more iconically appearing in 1972, um, we come to chat about the Easter special in 2022 for Doctor Who. The unfortunately lowest rated episode of Doctor Who of all time, based on the UK TV viewing figures, which is not ideal either. Either, but we kind of have to focus on the fact that RTD is coming back and that's the positive side but of course viewing figures don't mean everything I there are many a story that got terrible viewing figures and was actually great so I feel like we need to properly dig down into this story um the return of the sea devils for the first time since 1984 we previewed it we chatted about the trailer we did lots of discussion about it beforehand and I think the overriding opinion was it'll probably be quite good. We're quite excited about this. A standalone adventure with sea devils, a sort of historical story. Chibnall's quite good at that. 
was it any good, guys? Was it? Did it? Did it work? Yeah. I remember saying on. I think it was the last podcast of the podcast before that. This is this is going to be the best to the the best of Whitaker's last year as the Doctor. Boy, was I wrong on that one. Um, in terms of the specials, I think even the Daleks is probably still the best one. Yeah. I think it could end up still being the best one. Um, it's That's not to say the episode was bad. I mean, I think I enjoyed it. It was more enjoyable than most of Flux, I would say. I mean, it's definitely a hell of a lot better than Survivors of the Flux and the Vanquishers, both of which I've just... Did, was did not like at all. So at least this is one saying that, that and, it, and it's not bad. It's the problem is it's just not memorable. Hmm. I think it's just one of those stories where it's just in one ear, out the other. And yeah. I think that's just its its biggest detriment really. And watching it, I I don't know. I think there was an interview I think I might have got this wrong. I think there was an interview with one of the producers or um I was with Chimble or a different producer a couple of months ago saying that this was meant to be an hour long, mm-hmm. exactly an hour long, but okay. and yet it's it's I think it was like it ended up being like 47, 48 yeah. minutes yeah. overall. And watching it, I could tell there were huge chunks of it that was gone. Like yeah. it just the editing was not good. It's there, there were some very weird edits, primarily in the opening sections, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden the doctor's hearing something, and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, she's there's a sea devil, and they easily capture it straight away, yeah. and it's just, and then later on when you had Madame Ching on that beach, and then just a few minutes later, she's just suddenly on a boat far out to sea, and then all yeah. of a sudden Dan and I can't remember the name of that supporting i honestly can't remember his name has anybody got his name they're suddenly on the boat as well it's just like how did that happen and they don't even really explain what the hell that monster was even if that was the maker or not and honestly yeah. i never thought i'd hear myself say this but i actually want to know if that was the maker or not i do <laughs> I think I think it wasn't. I think the idea was it was some sort of Chinese legend. I think the creature, well, obviously it was actually a sea devil kind of. I think the doctor calls it a sniffer dog for the sea devils. Um, but I think it was based on a Chinese legend or something like that. Um, I think I don't think it was the murder, unfortunately. Honestly, <laughs> as much as I despise the murder, and if anyone who's listening, if watching, if this is your first podcast episode and you wonder what the murder is. All you need to know, it's a monster whose existence is blasphemous and unholy. Um, Pretty much, yeah. And and honestly, as much as I have my grievances with that monster, there is a part of me that wanted to know if that actually was an updated, evolved version of the murder, because I think that would have been so hilarious. But, hey, can't have them all, I suppose. Anyway, um, so, yeah... I just felt like a lot of it felt a bit, it felt a bit both slow and rushed at the same time. Mm. Like, I feel like the pacing was very off. I think could be probably due to the editing issues, as I mentioned. And the Sea Devils were kind of cool, but I don't think you hardly spend that much time with them anyway. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, that's the thing. I think in the end, I just thought it was just barely okay. Not yeah. not great, not bad, just there. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. It's there. Exactly, exactly. I mean, when I I first watched it, I first watched it a couple of hours after it actually aired, so I hadn't I wasn't like keeping up with the fan response immediately as it was happening. And I kind of watched it. And well, actually, you can see I have a live reaction on my YouTube channel of it. I, I thought it was all right. I didn't think it was that bad on first watch. And I was almost slightly surprised to see how negative the reaction on social media was this episode. Because it was, you know, it was bad. Like, people hated it. They thought it was absolutely the worst thing Doctor Who's ever done. But that was the impression I got. And I'm like, I look back at it and I'm like, yeah, there are many problems with it. Like, I do not fundamentally understand why that episode was 47 minutes long. Like... I just, that doesn't make any sense to me because clearly it was massively cut down. There were massive edits, you know, put in, as we've said, the editing was shocking in places because there was just massive jumps of logic of time and all that. And, you know, even if they, even if it was that they, the BBC only gave them a 50 minute slot, use those extra two minutes you've got there, like two and a half minutes, use them. Why did you just waste them there? You could have, I don't know, maybe there was, you know, some of the shots that they were meant, would have been slotted in were, you know, shot badly, poor continuity or something. Maybe there's a reason why some shots weren't able to be included rather than the fact that they just cut them all down. I don't know, but it just baffles me that it was so heavily edited when seemingly there was room to play with and, quite why when every Doctor Who special ever has been at least an hour long, why was this one only 50 minutes? That, that you know, I kind of was rolling with it before the episode, but then I look at it, I'm like, this episode clearly needed 60 and it almost looks like it was made as a 60 minute and then they cut it down to 47 and that just never works. I don't know, Charlie, what was your initial reaction to this episode? Um, I've actually, like lots of people who've reviewed it and stuff have watched it twice. I've still just watched it the once. Okay. Um, my initial reaction was it was okay, but I feel as I've thought about it more, as I've seen more people discuss it and notice other things, I feel it's my my perception of it has decreased slightly. Um, I'd say it's it's an interesting one. Yeah, what you were both saying about how it was originally like an hour and was cut down. Yeah, it's very obvious. I I couldn't really tell what was happening. Um, it was it was very confusing. As for the um, supporting cast, I didn't I didn't really care about them to be honest. Like we had uh, Ji Hun, his sacrifice at the end. Yeah. It was nice, sure, and it was a good moment, but I just didn't really find myself caring about any of these characters. And that other supporting character who um, whose dad was killed by Madame Ching. Yeah. This one this one scene where that they literally sneak aboard the ship and he wants to kill Madame Ching. And then she just says, all right, I won't kill you and you can stay on my ship. And he like, he's really happy and he like hugs her or something. It, it just doesn't really make much sense. Um, now, like, there was maybe it's a few scenes in there that got yeah. easily edited out. Maybe it was those scenes that mm. explore the, the sort of connection more. Maybe that was some of the stuff they cut down for time. And it, if they just put those, if that was the case... You needed those scenes to help make that final scene work. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, it's. I feel the scenes that they did cut out. I feel it should have. There, there should have been more pirate scenes there. Like, I feel like they were sort of promising us a, a larger scale, you know, pirate sort of epic, and we didn't really get that. Like, there was three proper like pirate characters in there. Well, basically two. And 
they weren't really well, very well developed at all. I just didn't really get it. Um, yeah, and as well, there were lots of issues with the actual physical editing of some scenes, like the fight scenes. I don't know if um, have any of you seen Quantum of Solace? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the um yeah. the fight scenes in that were very reminiscent of that. I feel it was like very quick cuts. You couldn't really tell what was going on. Um, exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. I spotted at one point there was like four cuts in a second or something yeah. between shots. Like it's ridiculous. It's like, does that really add to the action? Yeah, I know it's it's very confusing and chaotic to watch. Um, the CGI is very dodgy as well. I feel you can tell that they've stretched the flux budget out to accommodate yeah. these three specials yeah. um yeah. and the fact that this is basically just an extra episode inserted in i feel yeah. um the statue cracking the sea devil doing that weird mario jump on oh the that was bizarre yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was quite something um and just generally i yeah it, it, it's very I don't think it's absolutely awful. I think it's better than Warriors of the Deep. Yes. But I'd still mm. say it's bad, just not that bad. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't go as far to say it's decent. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What, what about you, Bill? Did, did, are you on the same page as all of us? Or have you did you find some any more positives in this story? Um, I mean, I am more like everything that you've all just said about, especially the editing, I completely agree with. Because, um, like, watching it, I mean... I must admit, my first thought was that they'd kind of rushed it together last minute, that maybe it was a last minute special and that it wasn't, it was originally just going to be um, Eve of the Daleks and the Centenary. And then maybe this is the third special that then the BBC gave to them, um, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of, I'm a bit like you in some ways, Elliot, in that having looked at how people reacted to it, like straight after it aired, I was thinking in some ways, like, did we watch the same episode? Because (laughs) not say like, I thought it was amazing because I really do think it was a very flawed special. And I was definitely hoping that it would be a lot better than it turned out to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the main problem, I think the reason why um, the reaction to it has just been so, negative is probably because like the fact that we were getting so hyped up for the sea devils return Mm. because they haven't been used for so long um and i think that kind of maybe in some ways gave us too high expectations for it um to kind of make us think oh this is going to be you know really really good sea devil uh episode this is going to you know um it's going to fix what Warriors of the Deep did to them and everything. And it kind of did, but it kind of didn't really. It was, to be honest, um, a lot of what I've been hearing that um, a lot of people felt like they c- you could more or less swap out any other monster for the Sea Devils in, the, in yeah. this story. And I completely agree with that because there's no real reason for it to be the Sea Devils other than them basically being like, oh, well, they haven't been used for so long. We may as well bring them back. Yeah, and I, and I think um, I got that impression from uh, an interview. I was either with Chris Chibnall or Ella Road, where they basically said, we had this story, and we were like, oh, yeah, it'd be great to throw the Sea Devils in there. They'd be a great villain for this story. And it's like, with a villain like the Sea Devils, you think you'd write the story around them rather than just yeah. slot them in as your generic villain to function as a part of that story, which I think is what we got. Yeah, and I think they're kind of 
the whole kind of plot that they had to like converts the entirety of the earth into water was very strange because I don't really understand why they'd want to do that because surely because we know that they're cousins of the Silurians who obviously grew up on land yeah so obviously the, the sea devils are used to the earth having land and it just I don't know it just it just felt weird it felt like it felt like Chibnall was just trying to give them a reason to be you know the bad guys in this rather than yeah. like like you say just kind of thinking it out and like planning it out a bit more clearly and everything mm-hmm. um i did like the phasmin stuff i think that was the yeah. um greatest strength of this special um because i'm sure you know i can't remember who it was um i, I think it may have been ella road or it may have been someone else but i'm sure in an interview with Doctor Magazine, I'm sure someone said that you know Phasmin wasn't going to be like um, shown that much, like not really kind of written. And it's yeah. not; it wouldn't be a big part of it, basically, for this special. But it was actually a very big part of it. Um, but in a good way. Like I liked the fact that we kind of more or less got that kind of talk between Doctor and Yaz on the beach at the end. Um, that they've kind of been hinting at for. Um, a good few episodes now. Um, so yeah, that was nice. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see what the centenary like will do with the whole phasma stuff and how yeah. that will wrap. I mean, I know the centenary's got enough stuff to cram in with how many characters. <laughs> yeah, we'll certainly come on to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but hopefully they can wrap that up like at least fairly decently. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, Ryan. Um- I was, you mentioned about the whole fact that they just seem like they throw the sea devils in just to complete the story. I remember when the Sontarans came back in 2008 with the Sontaran stratagem, yeah. there was a, a like a, a big hype surrounding that, the fact that they did, even though the Sontarans aren't quite as big of a monster as, say, mm. the Daleks or the Cybermen, they still... I think they wrote that story around the Sontarans and the fact that they were coming back and they yeah. had them on the Radio Times cover, all the magazine because say the Sontarans are back. And I, I just feel like the Sea Devils at least should have gotten something mm. akin to that. But I think the fact that there was nothing on it maybe kind of shows why not that many people tuned in, perhaps because it wasn't really promoted that well. The fact that there was very limited marketing and also just a quick little side note that bit with the chief sea devil just leapfrogging his way over to that ship it reminded me and not in a good way of john sim leapfrogging his way all over the place oh yeah yes yeah that's the one and and he has these superpowers all of a sudden the way he demonstrated is by Mm -hmm. leapfrogging his way all over the place um the last thing i wanted was to be reminded of that (laughs) yeah exactly it was a bit it was it was yeah not 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 the greatest moment for the show i think it's fair to say and i think it's interesting you say about um like the centaurans and the story being written around them previously and i think it was it was kind of notable that the sea devils didn't have like a big reintroduction moment it was just like about a minute into the episode oh hello it's a sea devil you know there's a stone statue of a sea devil and then oh there's a sea devil and the doctor's like hi and you know there was it wasn't like a big moment it wasn't a big thing 
we only ever saw one sea devil actually have a speaking part. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure there's only like the sea devil leader was anyone who ever actually spoke. The others all just stared and looked around in the background. And I just felt like they didn't, you know, there's so many great like opportunities sort of visually that you could work with with the sea devils coming up out of the sea and whatever and things like that like we've seen in the past. I just didn't feel like there was any real iconic moment for the sea devils in this story. Like it was cool to see the pirate idea behind it, the sort of sea devil pirates type idea. That was, you know, it's nice to have a little twist on them, but I just felt like there wasn't actually really a lot to it, um, which was a real shame, I thought. And 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 maybe I'm just being stupid, but like the sea devils clearly don't need to live underwater because they walk around the land all the time. So why do they need to turn their whole planet into water when they don't actually need to live under the water? Did, was there any like in none of their stories have they ever actually been seen un- properly underwater? The only time was them coming out of the water in the Sea Devils. Like they were never underwater in the Warriors of the Deep or this. And it's I just don't quite understand why therefore that plan makes any sense. Yeah, yeah I feel I was gonna say what um my initial thought was like the only explanation is they're trying to get vengeance on humans for what I happened guess. with the sea devils but the sea devils are set in 1970s or maybe 80s depending yeah on it's set in the future day. from their point of view isn't but, it yeah yeah this is 1800 so what, what what's up you know it yeah. just doesn't make sense and if they try and turn the planet into water wouldn't that kill off the Silurians and surely I mean, yeah and the Silurians are the, they're the same species technically I mean exactly Homo reptilian, all of them are, so should, they will be effectively killing off a great portion of their species in the process. So it's, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 fear, I fear this story is kind of, well, naturally, it is like many other Chris Chibnall stories where you can kind of, on the surface, if you don't think about it too much, it can be a solidly enjoyable and entertaining story. But if you start to really inspect it and really think about it and try and you know really knock into the logic of it it just kind of collapses which i feel is often a problem with chris Chibnall episodes um monuments of the first series yep well there is no plot in the ghost monument that's the problem it's just a it's just it's just a race from point a to point b that's not a plot that's just it it basically sound that sound like a neat idea but the thing is yeah there was just nothing to it and the fact that if you think about all the logistics what they have to go through in the ghost monument it just doesn't completely yeah. work and i just feel like and that was a story where it was just in one ear out the other and yeah. this is the exact same thing it's it, it kind of reminded me of the ghost monument in some places where it's mm-hmm. it's really slow but also really rushed at the same time yeah Exactly, exactly. And I know, Charlie, you said about the Ji-hun having his little sacrifice moment. And, I, you know, I've seen this on social media and I do kind of agree that it's... Reha- well, first it's rehashing the same thing that happened at the end of The Time as Children when Ko Sharmas turns on and is like, I'll blow myself up for you, Doctor, so you don't have to. And it's just, it doesn't really feel very doctory when she has these moments where she basically just lets somebody else go and get themselves killed to save... Well, they're, they're, you know, the other people, but also herself. Like, that's not what we have generally seen from previous incarnations of the Doctor, you know, that they won't accept any person dying and certainly not just hand them the button and say, OK, you can save me and just kill yourself. Like, I just found that I just found that particularly jarring in this episode, I think. And it's just it almost feels like Chris has written himself into a pole narratively. And the only way out of it is a very cheap. Let's get somebody to commit suicide. Like. That's it. I, I don't know. I mean, Bill, what, did 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 you feel like that was a problem with this episode, or or with you know we've seen it a couple of times now? 
Yeah, I think um, when I was watching it live, I think I immediately thought of The Timeless Children and Co. Sharmas, yeah, because, yeah, it is very strange. I mean, if um, Ji Hung had just knocked the Doctor out, which is kind of what um, used to happen a lot when characters yeah. sacrificed themselves, like yeah, before Chris yeah. Channel, yeah, um, that would have been okay because then it's not like the Doctor's just been like, oh, okay, then goodbye. Yeah. You know, um, like the Doctor's actually resisted G Hong just trying to commit suicide basically mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um yeah I mean it was it's it's okay but yeah like the timeless children it's just it's just like you say it's not really a very good enough kind of ending for it really it's just mm-hmm. it's just a very cheap way out for yeah Chris Chibnall I think basically yeah yeah, exactly. And you feel like you've been building up throughout this story and then it's just that moment and then, oh, we're back on the pirate ship. Goodbye, everybody. Time for a thousand moment. Like it, it was obviously also massively rushed, that ending, um, which I think led us through. I don't know, Ryan, Charlie, do you have any thoughts on this Doctor being... It, I feel like it just shows the kind of common trait that for whatever reason Christian was taken for this Doctor, that she's a very passive Doctor, that she kind of just lets stuff happen around her. And that, that and I don't think that's really the character of the Doctor in many ways. And I just feel like so often we've seen that in this era. I, I do think that Jodie Whittaker is probably my least favourite main incarnation of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be like, you know, it's oh, the Doctor's bad because she's female, or I'm not trying to yeah. be an NMD or anything. But yeah. yeah, I feel just, like you said, her passiveness, her, like reaction to graham's cancer um yeah yeah her just general passiveness just letting people just be sacrificed like other doctors they um they felt a lot of remorse at the things that they'd let happen like obviously we've got um the 11th doctor speech in the rings of akaten really showing how much guilt he feels um obviously loads of moments from the 10th doctor 12th doctors like speech of war you know Mm -hmm. they the doctor's main personality trait is that they don't kill people they hate doing that yeah and the 13th doctor just doesn't she doesn't actively kill people but she just doesn't really seem to care about much no she there's not a second thought it's like oh you're gonna blow yourself up thank you you're a legend goodbye and then we don't even mention it again like that's it whereas the 10th doctor you know he'd, he'd go around and you know have a soppy moment about it for 10 minutes like i know that's the other extreme but like that it just feels such a jarring change to what we've seen from previous incarnations of the doctor Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, I remember they did something like this. I remember when I watched the first season with her, they did something with the um, Demons of the Punjab where she oh, yeah. actually allowed them. But it was acceptable there because it's part of history. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and it was the same with Rosa as well. And mm. so, and I thought it worked really well with those stories because there's a reason behind it. It's part of history. She can't do anything about it. But. They decided to let that continue for other stories as well. That isn't really a historical story. And I'm just like, why was that even necessary? I think the worst example was the Timeless Children, where because it she was involved in basically a situation that was very similar to with them um, that was trying to aid the War Doctor moment from Day of the Doctor, big red button on yeah. blowing up Gallifrey. And and then all of a sudden, Cole Shower turns up and it's like, do it and she's like okay then it turns out it seemed like before then the dilemma was uh should i blow up my home planet or not but now with letting coach i was doing it seemed like the dilemma was i don't want to blow myself up and yeah. it's just 
I, w- I don't know if I would go so far to say she's my least favorite. I still think Peter Davison's my least favorite mm-hmm. doctor. And I feel like, in a way, Peter Davison was also sort of kind of a little bit passive as well. I've noticed there are similar traits between yeah. the two doctors with Peter and Jodie. Again, and it's a real shame because Jodie Whittaker's a really good actress and I, yeah. I just can't help but feel like she deserves so much better than this. I guarantee if Russell or Stephen um, was still doing Doctor Who and she and they casted her, she would have had a much better received run, yeah. in, in my opinion. And I'm hoping that, like Colin Baker before her, she gets a, a new lease of life in the Big Finish mm. audio dramas. I'm hoping, I'm praying they... Yeah. Um, I know it usually takes a bit longer to get licenses, I, I suppose, for new doctors for Big Finish, but I'm hoping they do it much sooner and quicker for Joe DeWitka so that way she gets a much better lease on life and is gets a well, well better received than she had in the past. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, hope, I mean, you know, if Big Finish can just get Manic Gill to do it as well, I'm sure the two of them will come and do it together, no problem, because, you know, they're such good friends. So, like, yeah, I'd be really hopeful that that she does get that opportunity, and and also, if anything, I would I would hope that I mean it's kind of bad timing, really, but that she'd at some point end up in a multi doctor story with a different person writing it, and just see what it's like with a different writer writing her doctor. I guess as as I say, unfortunately, the sixtieth is next year, and I don't think she's going to turn up in the sixtieth because it will be the next episode after she just left. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so it might be a while before we see that, if at all. But I just feel like that would be a great opportunity to see you know, a different writer's approach on that character of the Doctor because obviously Chris Chibnall would have no involvement in that at all at that point. So I don't know. I think that'd be quite an interesting um, thing to explore. Yeah, I think um, I was just going to say whatever is going on with Doctor Who in like 2033 or something, you know, if, you know, if at all, if you knew who's still going, I feel I really want the showrunner at the time to include Jodie in a a past, you know, in a multi-Doctor story just to see what another showrunner and writer could do with her because mm. yeah like like you were saying it's not Jodie Whittaker's fault at all you know the, the negative reception of this era it's I mean it's not entirely Chibnall either but it's definitely not Jodie <laughs> so I'd really like yeah. to see someone mm. else uh, like I, I still wish that Jodie got another series with RTD I feel that'd be really good mm. but I do understand why he wants a fresh slate you know so the other big part of this story which I know Bill you touched on a little bit earlier on was Thasmin which we knew was going to be approached and covered after it was introduced into the show properly in Eve of the Daleks now my personal opinion is that this was probably the strongest aspect of this episode and kind of when we cut to that scene on the beach with about four minutes of the episode to go they were probably the strongest minutes of this whole story for me at least like I feel like like Jodie and Mandit's performances in that scene was just you know they really pitched that perfectly they really sold that scene in that moment I mean it was slightly random just before to see Dan getting a call from Diane that seemed to be our random cameo of the episode after we had Carl in um Eve of the Daleks we had Diane turning up for five seconds in this story um and yeah I don't know I just I just really it just really felt like a, a strong emotional moment and it really felt real between the two characters which i feel like hasn't always been the case with you know emotive scenes in the chris chibnall era i don't know what did you think of this scene charlie how 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 did it strike you this sort of well throughout the episode but particularly the ending scene 
Um, yeah, I, I've never been a huge fan of Thasmin before. Like, yeah. I, I always thought, like, the idea wasn't too great. I've never been a huge fan of Doctor-Companion relationships to begin yeah. with, um, like Tenrose. But I feel it, it's slightly worrying that this is the best handled aspect of the episode, something which I, I would not have believed, like, yeah. one or two years ago. Um, mm. Yeah, I feel it was very well well written, well acted. Um, part of me does think that Chibnall, um, well, uh, that these parts were handled more by Ella Rhodes. You do wonder, yeah. Yeah, that maybe Chibnall did, like, not all of the other stuff, but I don't know, I I get that impression because the writing does seem very different. Um, I, yeah, I think it was handled quite well. It was obviously very well acted by Jodie and Mandip, and before like in Eve of the Daleks, I thought, is this really necessary? Like, did they have any chemistry before? But I can, I can kind of see it now. Like, it, yeah, like you said, it feels more real. Um, and I'm I'm actually probably mostly curious for the Centenary Special as to how it's going to be handled in that. Obviously, mm. skipping a bit ahead to the trailer, we've got that scene where she's kind of regenerating and she yeah. obviously says, like, Yaz. And I feel yeah. that that's going to be quite an emotional yeah. part of the episode. I, yeah, I think mm. it's going to be interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's interesting because I know a lot of people were worried that we were just going to tread the same ground of 10 rows of, you know, the doc or the doctor in school reunion and going, you know, I you can spend the rest of life with me, but I can't spend it with you and all that. And I feel like they kind of covered that idea, but it also felt kind of, it just felt kind of fresh to an extent. I feel like we, we kind of saw more emotion and more openness from this doctor than we've seen at any point. Like she's been the most closed off emotionally doctor that we've certainly seen in new who like she can't talk about her feelings basically has been this this doctor's character trait and i felt like for the first time in this episode she really opened up that little bit to yaz about you know almost that she does feel the same way but she can't bear the idea of you know watching yaz die at some point in the future because she knows that's inevitably how it's going to end and i just felt that it, it i don't know it just really hit in this episode to me i felt it really it, it you really felt that you could see that trait in the Doctor. You could see kind of from all her past experiences in her various incarnations how hurt she's been by almost, you know, being in relationships or having, you know, emotional feelings towards people in the past that she's trying so hard to distance herself from that um, and just trying to enjoy the present moment and, and all that kind of thing. I just felt that really sold quite well. I don't know, Ryan, what was your take on all this? Um, it, I thought it was decently handled. I think I would have felt more emotion had it, been brought up much earlier than even yeah, the Daleks. That is the problem, I, yeah. I feel like at best it should have been brought up just after about the same time Pluck started. Yeah. I feel like that was the first I feel like that's where it should have been brought up and then if it had done that, at least there would have been more of a build up to this moment that would make it more impactful but on its own it's fine but I just feel like it's a weird thing to try and cram into two episodes or three if we're counting the centenary yeah. special if they decide to continue more in this this route um mm-hmm. so yeah i don't really have much more to say uh other than i still feel like in terms of quasar doctor companion romance i still feel like it was probably better handled to an extent with 12 and clara mm-hmm. i still feel like that was a much more nuanced, much more layered, more yeah. better way of doing a romance without explicitly saying romance. Yeah, and yeah so- it's, it's what it was, but it was so 
there were so many layers to that relationship that you could kind of almost read it in different ways, depending on kind of how you felt about it almost, I think. Yeah, I remember that bit in Under the Lake and Before the Flood mm. where the doctor's uncertain if he should do it, saying, I'm doomed to my fate. And Klaus was like, don't be like that. She said, if you love me in any way, you would come yeah. back. And that, I feel like there were definitely mm. better, that was definitely done much better, I feel, than than this with 13 and Yaz. Because, as I said, there has been very little build-up and it's only done in a small amount of scenes in two episodes. So, mm. yeah, I feel like that's the unfortunate side of it. I mean, I thought it was decent, but I feel like it could have been a lot better. Yeah, I think that's that's the fundamental problem that kind of this is always going to be fighting against now. It's just that it was introduced at such a late stage that it will... <laughs> If you tried really hard, you could try and find little bits of it in Doctor Flux and maybe some of Series 12, but really it's only become particularly explicit in the last two episodes, as you say, which has just naturally dragged the idea down a little bit, I guess. And Bill, have you got anything else? Any other thoughts you had on, on all those scenes? No, just to say that, um, like again, I agree with all of what you've been saying. And um, yeah, it is a shame that they've waited this long to really bring it up because... Yeah. Um, given that it's um, the first, um, at least the first same-sex relationship between the Doctor and a companion, mm. um, you it, it kind of feels it, it feels like it deserves to be given a bit more time to be properly fleshed out. Really, yeah. um, I know, like like you say, you could go back to some of the earlier stuff and say, oh, a little hints of it here and there and everything, but really we we know from i think jody and mandip themselves said that they were the ones that wanted it to be yeah. included in eve of the daleks in the first place so mm-hmm. um it is a shame that is that it is such a last minute thing because you know if this the, the scenes that we got in this episode shows that if they just planned it out a bit more and given it a bit more time i think we really could have kind of as you say, kind of tread the same ground as some of the other relationships that we've had, but also still tell something new and fresh and different. Um, As the rest of you, I'm not normally that massive of a fan of Doctor and Companion relationships um, because, to be honest, most of the past ones, um, especially in the 10th Doctor's era, like with Ten and Rose, I did not like that at all. Um, as much as the 10th Doctor is one of my favourite Doctors, I would not say that I'm a massive fan of Ten Rows at all. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that like with Phasmin, it's not just gone down the Ten Rows route of, you know, kind of being quite a, almost kind of a quite toxic kind of thing between uh, people who, um, like the way Rose kind of treats um, Bicky um, in series two and everything, and he, he kind of just gets sidelined between the 10th Doctor and Rose. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that with Phasmin, it's not like, um, like Dan's just encouraging it between the two of them and is like fully supportive of Yaz. And I think that's a really nice kind of thing to have between. Yaz and Dan, because you know, Dan has also not had much development really. 
Um, he, he still feels like he's only just arrived. I mean, yeah. he kind of has, but you know, <laughs> he's he's not really he's not really developed a real kind of proper rapport with, especially with the Thirteenth Doctor, because yeah. they've had pretty much yeah, no. Yeah, they've no screen together. time, have they? Yeah, they've had yeah. nothing. And I think it says it all that we've been talking about this over for 45 minutes, and this is the first time we've mentioned Dan. Like, mm. it just tells you that he's just... I don't dislike him, but he just doesn't have any real reason to be there, does he? He's just kind of there. Yeah, he's, he's just kind of like Bradley Walsh was for Series 11 and 12, which, yeah. you know, is fine. I mean, being the comic relief is completely mm. fine. I loved it with Bradley Walsh. I loved it with Matt Lucas in Series yeah. 10. Um but mm. with Dan, there's that is literally all he really is. There's, yeah. there's no kind of an extra element to his character because he's not really, apart from the stuff with uh, Die, um, yeah. there's not really been much that's kind of been developed for him, which is a shame. Yeah, I exactly. feel like after Once Upon Time in Flux, after that episode, I feel like Dan just becomes a spare wheel after that. I feel like mm-hmm. he had much more prominent role in the first three episodes of Flux mm. than afterwards. He just, it's just along for the ride. Yeah, well, he gets sidelined in, obviously, in episode five into the pointless plot line of him and Jericho and Yaz and stuff that's just a whole waste of time. And then just gets caught up in the melee that is the Vanquishers as well, where there's just no opportunity to do anything with any character. Um, so it's kind of inevitable that it ends up this way, really. Um, but yeah, you, well, and, and it's well pointed out, Bill, that, it, that he's the comic relief character. I wonder if series 14 will be the first time since series nine to not have a comic relief companion. Mm. Now, that's the big question, but we'll have two years to theorise that, I'm sure. Um, well, I, I don't think we have particularly positive overall opinions of this story. I'm sensing it's, it's, it's just an episode that's there. I, okay, I'm going to ask you guys one question, which you have to answer. Is this episode, be- and, and briefly, is this episode better or worse than Planet of the Dead? I think it's slightly better. Okay. So, but only very slightly. Okay. Because Planet of the Dead was just absolute nonsense. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least with this, it's more, it's a little bit more tolerable, but yeah. that's not saying much. <laughs> okay, Charlie? Um, I'm going to have to go with um, a little bit worse. Not too much. I, I didn't hate Planet of the Dead. I thought it was all right, to be fair. Yeah. But I feel I feel both of them are just sort of... They're towards the end of an era, the Easter specials, and they both sum up the very generic tropes within an era. Like, yeah. I feel this yeah. was just everything... Like, overall, I don't hate the Chibnall era, but everything I did have problems with were just sort of in this episode like Mm -hmm. bland side characters random like countdowns and stuff some corridor running you know um yeah i yeah i I didn't hate it nor did i hate planet of the dead but i'd say (laughs) i don't know i I just think tenant's more enjoyable than planet of the dead Mm -hmm. like he saved that episode yeah okay and bill yeah i mean i would like ryan i would say it's only slightly better i mean i think they're they're pretty almost on the same level as each other really because mm-hmm. um yeah they're just they're both quite bland episodes really um i think it's it's kind of a shame that the we don't have more easter specials because i i think that's kind of one of the reasons why this one didn't do so well ratings wise i yeah. think 
um, because people are so used to Doctor Who having like Christmas specials and for the last few years, New Year specials, yeah. that's why people know, oh, it will, it will be on Christmas Day or New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Easter specials, we've only had two. Yeah. And so it's, it's not really tradition, which I think that might be potentially one of the reasons why the ratings didn't do so well. Um, but yeah, like Charlie was saying, they're just very, both very bland and kind of represent the most bland and basic elements of both the eras, really. Yeah, and it's it's just not what you want from a penultimate episode of an era, really. Like it feels like it should be something big, something building to a to an ultimate climax of an era, but it just doesn't feel like that at all. It just feels like a a planned special. But I do just about edge it over Planet of the Dead. So I guess our sorry, Charlie, but our verdict is that it is the best Easter special of all time. So it's got that going for it. That really probably sells it a lot, you know, better than it actually is. But the best Easter special of all time, according to the Kavan podcast. Um, well, there we go. That's our chat on Legends of the Sea Devils. And we're going to move swiftly on to the very end of Legends of the Sea Devils, or just after, and the centenary special trailer, which we got, um, which teased many exciting things to come, albeit a six-month wait for that moment. And I'd just like to say quickly, I'm not sure if I said it on this podcast or whether it was just on Twitter, but I'm pretty sure I said this episode would end on an ominous shot of Joe and that's exactly what it ended on and then flowed into the trailer so i was quite pleased with myself that i correctly predicted how it end i mean i said that she'd you know say something anonymous like something is coming for me or whatever and i guess her i never want this moment to end is you know it's not quite the same but you know kind of foreshadowing the idea that it is going to come to an end because she never wants this to come to an end so i'm going to claim it that i was i was right i got that right um anyway the trailer guys i think that was probably my most exciting moment of the episode um, or specifically when Tegan and Ace appears in the trailer, that was the moment of this trailer for me. Um, Ryan, what, what, oh, I know you've generally been the most cynical person towards the centenary special of everybody on this podcast. Does this trailer raise any excitement or are you still feeling very like, you know, low expectations? Mixture of both. It's okay. a mixture of both because obviously, of course, I'm excited about. I mean, when that happened, when it showed both of them, I would just repeatedly just shouted, what, what, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think Ben would have been proud of me, the oh, yeah. man that I said what yeah. many times. Um, so, yeah, because obviously those two are the quintessential companions of the 80s. I mm-hmm. mean, they, they are just absolutely iconic, even though Peter Davison is my least favourite doctor and I, and I find his era to be a mixed bag. Tegan was the best thing about that era for me. I mean, because I'm like, even if I'm not that into Davison, at least we've got Tegan to yeah. help liven things up. So I'm happy she's back. Also super happy Ace is back. Mm. And because she's also one of my favourites. Uh, love Sophie Aldred as Ace. Um, met her once at a convention. She was super awesome. Yeah. So I'm so glad both of them are in it. So I think that could help liven the episode up more mm-hmm. although I'm a little bit worried they're going to be treated like how Captain Jack was yeah. in Revolution of the Daleks where he didn't really have that much to do and same with Kate Lethbridge stewart in Survivors of the Flux and the Vanquishers and she's back in this as well so and I just can't help feel like there are some things I'm going to really enjoy and I mean, of course, Ashard is back, and I have my theory about yeah. how he could come back. Okay, how's, how's that? 
Um, do you want me to say it now? Or Go for it. it. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Throw your theory in the bag. Throw your theory in the... It's either going to be one of two things. Okay. One is going to be set between haunting a Villa Diodati and Ascension of the Cybermen. Okay. okay. Or if it's set after the Timeless Children, there could be an explanation. The Siberium, the living cyber mm. AI. What if, because Ashad had it in that inside him for presumably a long time. Yeah. So what if it copied and downloaded his entire mind and personality mm. into it? And so because of that, it left the master evolved to the point where it can have a physical form and it's the lone Cyberman because yeah. it has its memories and personality in it. Mm. So it's a good I shout. think that could be a way of keeping him alive so it's like saying well his physical body is dead but his mind and consciousness still lives on through the siberium so yeah that's a good shout that could be an explanation so and i'm happy that he's back because i one of the best things probably my favorite thing about the jody whittaker era was the lone cyberman because i feel like he had a, he added a new dimension to the cyberman the same way davros did with the daleks so I was so happy they beat him back because, again, great character. I felt like he got ultimately squandered and done dirty in The Timeless Children, which was one of many reasons why I disliked that episode so much. Because <laughs> he did one of the best villains in recent years, poorly, just to mm-hmm. up the master up more in a lame way. So I'm happy. I'm hoping they give him a better send off in this in this story, and. And so, yeah, we have all these other cats. I'm just a bit concerned with the fact that it seems like there's going to be so much mm. in this special. Even if it's like an hour and 15, an hour and a half, it feels like it has a lot to do with having it be a regeneration story, having it be a farewell to the companions, farewell to the Sasha Dewan's master, tying up the timeless mm-hmm. child and the root fugitive doctor. I mean, she's going to yeah. pop up in there, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. The fact that Graham will be back, I mean, it seems from the set reports, and Vinda's back, presumably Bell and Carvin Easter are back yeah. as well. Um, Kate Leopard Stewart, Tegan Ace, and who knows how many other I mean, yeah, I clearly there's been more. Yeah. Showing up, yeah. So yeah. It's just so much. I'm just like, how are they going to try and wrap it all up? Yeah. All of it in about in the amount of time they have. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. When it's yeah. October, November. That's yeah, August. indeed. Uh, and I mean, after Legend of the Sea Devils, I wouldn't be surprised if Chris tries to squeeze it into 52 minutes as well or something now, just to try and troll us all. Um, oh. But I really hope not. Um, Charlie, there's there's a lot in this. There's a lot going on. There's a lot we probably don't even know yet of other characters. We, well, we know Graham's turning up again. That's been leaked in filming pictures. And as you say, Ryan, I think we can assume characters like Carvin Easter and Belle are going to be showing up. People like that. So and the Ruth Doctor and, and, and all this. So, I don't know, do you do you feel like it's impossible for this episode to work because there's so much in it, or or, or do you have optimism for this story? Um, after seeing that trailer and thinking about it a bit, honestly, I can see this being fun, like, mm-hmm. you know, a fun final episode, but there's no way that all of this can be wrapped up satisfyingly, like you yeah. were saying, Ryan. That like they've got to say say goodbye to obviously Jodie Whittaker and Sasha Dewan's master. They've got to wrap up the timeless children, the, you know, mm-hmm. the timeless child, the Ruth Doctor. They've got to manage 
you know, Vinda, the 13th Doctor, Yaz, Dan, the Master, Tegan, Ace, the Daleks, the Cybermen, Ashad, Kate, it's just, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be wrapped up yeah. in a very satisfying way at all. And Thasmin as well. Yeah. yeah. It's just, uh, what we saw from the trailer where um, I mentioned she was like regenerating sort of, yeah. I feel that's going to be something like induced by the Master and she's going to stop. Like no way is that the actual mm. regeneration. I, I saw a theory and I wondered whether that's when she opens the fob watch and gets all her memories back and that that's actually what yeah. we're seeing happen there rather than and that she doesn't want that to happen. I don't know, or something maybe that that's what, because I agree, I don't think, I don't think they'd show us the regeneration moment in a trailer, frankly, like that. And I don't think that'll be the actual moment, as you say. I think that's that's quite intriguing. But yeah, uh, uh, I share your concerns. As much as I want it to be really good and I want it to be a real, you know, celebration of Doctor Who, because it kind of is an anniversary special, but also not. Um, but there's just so much in this. I mean, we thought Time of the Doctor was bad in trying to wrap up an era in an hour. Like, this is another level of stuff in it. When you just reeled off that list there, I'm just like, they've already, this is what they've only announced so far. Like, there's clearly going to be a load more. They're just waiting for the next six months over the period of time to announce. I don't know, Bill, are you excited for this episode at the very least? Um, I'm, like, cautiously excited, I, okay. I suppose, yeah. Okay. Um, like the rest of you, I'm kind of, wondering how the hell Christian was going to be able to pull it off because you know we, we've kind of more or less been here before with Chibnall with the Vanquishers yeah and we saw how that turned out <laughs> it didn't and work yes no it did not work at all so um I mean you know even if Ace and Tegan are probably not going to be utilized that well it would be nice to have them back at least. Very true, very true. Um, like like with the Sea Devils in Legend of the Sea Devils, it was nice to have them back at least. You know, mm -hmm. they weren't written well, but it was nice to see them again. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I like you, I want to like be able to look forward to this and I want it to work well. And I want Chris Chibnall to pull it off. I really do because... Mm. I don't go into any of his episodes wanting to dislike them. Quite yeah, the absolutely. opposite. Um, I want him with basically his final episode and Jodie Whittaker's final episodes to really kind of give us as many answers to all these questions that have been um, asked over, you know, over his tenure. And to just try and wrap things up like, Maybe not really well, but at least just to a satisfying enough conclusion to where we can say it wasn't great, but it was it wasn't like terrible. Like, mm. you know, I just hope that, it's, that at least bits of it will be enjoyable enough for us to kind of I think it's going to be like like again with the Vanquishers, how we said right at the start of Doc Two Flux on this podcast, how um, it was ultimately going to be like we liked the idea of the flux, but we were always kind of cautious about how it was going to be wrapped up in the yeah. series finale yeah. um, and how that was going to be ultimately what we based the entire series on. Mm -hmm. I think the centenary could well be the same for not just this year's specials, but just for the whole era, really, mm -hmm. just how we look back on it all and think, yeah. did it work? Did it not work quite as well as it could have done? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I want it I want it to be really good. Yeah. And I I really do hope that Jody is given a really good send-off. Mm. Um and just all of the cast and crew are given a really good send-off, really. Um, but 
I don't know. It, it's it would be difficult for any writer to be able to pull it off, honestly. Yeah. Um, so Chris Chibnall, I mean, I don't know why he's done it to himself, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> He's just done it for the trailer. That's all he's done. He just thought we can get a great trailer out of this. So let's throw everything into it and just cut it shot off the shot of the shot. Um, I mean, at least we know nothing about the plot of this story. Like as much as we've seen there's loads of stuff in it, we've got no idea what the storyline, I don't think we have any idea what the storyline to, to the centenary is at all. Like there's no impression of that. So that's apart from obviously the doctor is going to regenerate at the end of it. Um, but that's exciting and something to theorize over for the next six months. It's going to be a long wait. I feel like it was, it wasn't that long a wait from New Year's to this, but then it was only like three and a half, four months, whereas this is six months. And then it's like over a year until the 60th anniversary after that. So it's, yeah, we're going to be um, not not enjoying the most amount of Doctor Who over the next 18 months, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get through it and it'll be all fun. And well, if you need something to pass the time, let's say going on to our next little segment. Uh, for whatever reason, the BBC and all their great wisdom have decided to uh, announce and release a dvd slash blu-ray release featuring the featuring eve of the daleks and legend of the sea devils uh two special box set thing which it feels like a bit of a money grab i don't know do you guys agree it feels a bit i, I they did it in 2009 when they split up the specials back then and released them sort of in little bits together weirdly they never released eve of the daleks on their own on its own so i guess that kind of justifies it a little bit more but even so, it feels a bit odd to do this rather than wait until the centenary comes out. Particularly if the if the issue were to be around like the Christmas market or something. Like it's coming out in October, so you could easily do a DVD release in November for people to then enjoy. And inevitably, there's not a lot on it as well, apart from a couple of YouTube clips. And I think the audio commentaries are on there. So that's that's something. Audio commentaries are a rarity in the Jodie Whittaker era nowadays. Um, so that's good. But I don't know, Charlie, do you, are you going to be purchasing this release at all? <laughs> Um, probably, probably not now, to no. be honest. Like, no. I don't know if they release all three of them as a trilogy yeah. Um, yeah. towards the end of the year. I'll get that. And if not, yeah. I'll just get the Centenary Special and this release separate. Mm -hmm. But I'm not desperate to get it at the moment. I'm obviously still collecting classic Doctor Who. So yeah. I'd rather get that than yeah. just, you know, if I want to watch Legend of the Sea Devils and Eve of the Daleks, I can just watch it on iPlayer. Exactly. for the next six months <laughs> exactly yeah we'll, we'll survive with iPlayer for now I mean Ryan I, I I can't imagine you're particularly tempted to buy it um I it's really difficult to say because I kind of waited a bit on Revolution of the Daleks to see if mm. it would show up and it, and it didn't show up on the series 12 box set and it didn't definitely didn't show up on the series 13 flux yeah. box set yeah. probably had it for a different release I think they're just doing the same going to do the same with this if history has mm. taught us anything so mm. if that's a, it and if that's going to be the case then i'll probably just i think i might end up but purchasing it only just to add it to the collection so like that yeah. i have everything and and also because i did enjoy eve of the daleks I, I think that's been the best of these specials so far so mm. if i, I could easily rewatch that again because i think that was definitely more job and more memorable than legends of the sea devils that's for that's for damn sure <laughs> well exactly yeah and bill you're going to be rushing to the shops at the end of june to pick this up or not i mean it's, it's kind of difficult because when it was first announced i was kind of i did initially think oh i'll pre-order that straight away and then i kind of thought about it and i thought why are they doing just two why they're not wait until the centenary is aired and then uh do all three or just do the two of them separately. It, it seems very, very strange idea to put Eve and Legends together 
without waiting for the centenary or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, I I really do hope that we just get the three of them um, on a box set like at the yeah. end of the year. Hmm. But if not, then I suppose, yeah, I'll probably pick this up and then the centenary separately. But um, I mean, nearly, I think it's nearly 20 quid. Um, I know, DVD, for two episodes, Which yeah. is for just two episodes and barely even a handful of special features. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. And I know, I know yeah. the prices of things in general are going up, but it's still a bit like, I'm not too sure about that. Yeah, I don't think it's something I'm going to justify at the moment. I think I'll happily wait and hope that they're going to do a, a box set with all three of the specials in it. Just seems the more logical way to go. And I'm hopeful they'll do that come the end of the year. I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that. But it is out on the 28th of June if you want to pick it up. And if you do get it and want to, you know, send us a message and let us know what it's like, then please do. Um, if there's anything interesting on the commentaries or anything like that, then I'd, I'd love to hear about it. But I don't think any of us are probably going to buy it because... Just doesn't seem worth it, really. But one thing that is a little bit more worth it, just to come, uh, just to finish off this podcast today, are the two classic Dalek movies of the 1960s that are getting yet another release on Blu-ray slash 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray. Um, this later this year in June and July, um, I think they're getting a cinema release as well. They're like new 4K versions, basically 4K upscales of the or not upscales, but 4K rescans of the original releases or the original films. Uh, they're doing both a steelbook edition of it and a sort of collector's edition, which I was trying to figure out exactly what it is. It seems to be like sort of a special box and then like a poster and some art cards and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know, Ryan, have you had a look? I think you said you'd, you'd um, pre-ordered one of the collector's editions. What, what's kind of the difference between the collector's edition and the limited edition for these these two releases of the two films? What I looked at in the pictures, it seemed like there's more stuff like more booklets, more mm-hmm. retro poster artwork and and stuff like that, and art cards. And I think it's and also presented more in like a in one of those fancy collector's edition box. Um kind of like what you get with a typical collector's edition 4K release nowadays. So yeah. and whereas I think the steel case, it's just basically steel case just on its own with hardly anything in it. And of looking at the two of them, I was tempted to because uh, both of them did look did look really good, and yeah. I, I kind of did a bit of a, a coin toss, and I ended up going for the with the collector's editions, yeah. So in the end, so and they do look pretty cool, so I went with that one. So, and but regardless, it is quite interesting to have the Dalek movies on in four K. I didn't think that was ever going to happen, but yeah, they did, and and the fact that they get a sim, cinema release if. If they they do if they do happen to have a release in sort of where near where I live, I think I might be tempted to check it out, mm-hmm. see what it's like on the big screen. Yeah, exactly. I know. I, I was waiting to see where they're going to do these these screenings. I think it'd be quite interesting to just see them on the big screen because we've you know never had the opportunity to see that before. So I don't know. That'll be interesting. I mean, I've gone down the route of the steelbook mainly to match the many other steelbooks that I have nowadays of all the you know anime classic animations. Pretty much all of the new series will, will be. I haven't got the flux steelbook yet, and I realised the other day that it's out of stock on Amazon now, so I'm a bit screwed, and I'm probably going to have to overpay for it on on eBay because I've made that critical mistake of not buying it in time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it, it looks quite an interesting release. It looks like they've produced the new making of documentary for both of the films. And they're called like the Dalek Legacy or something, I think. Um, and that, well, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. I think it's a making of documentary um, of some form because I feel like they're 
they had the Dalek Mania documentary that was made in like the mid 90s that used to be on there. Um, but that was very much more about kind of just an overall thing of the two films. And obviously it was made, you know, 25, 27 years ago now. And so it's nice to kind of have something more up to date on the sort of production of the film, which I think will be really interesting. But Charlie, have you been tempted to get hold of either of these releases um, when they come out later this year? Yes, I do plan to get the uh, Steelbook. I haven't actually mm. seen the Dalek films yet. so um, Ah, very exciting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm probably going to get the 4K Steelbook. Um, I don't actually have any Steelbooks at the moment, but um, yeah, I'm hoping to um, hoping to get the Steelbook of this. That'll be good. Yeah, we could could start start off the collection. I mean, I I don't actually have a I don't actually have a player that can play 4K yet. So, but I believe it also I've I've checked and the releases all also include like a, a normal Blu-ray disc version of everything as well. So if you don't have a 4K player, you can still get the release and watch it on a normal Blu-ray player with the Blu-ray version of it as well. So that's quite good. And Bill, have you got any uh, much excitement for these releases later this year? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it actually. Yeah, it's it's nice to have them um upscaled in 4k and uh, released again in cinemas and everything mm. um i have watched them and i think they're pretty good you know films in in some ways kind of better than the tv yeah. stories in the sense that especially with the first one because the very first dalek story was like seven episodes long and could be quite a hog to like quite difficult to get through yeah. Yeah. really whereas the uh, film adaptation of it is a lot short and just focuses on the main bits of the story, which is yeah much much better, much more enjoyable. Um, I, I can't quite remember which one is it that's got the art cards. From which edition is I that? I think that's the collector's edition one rather than the steelbook. Right. Um, I, I will. I mean, obviously, it depends on like if I'm able to, but yeah. I will certainly try to get. Um, one or maybe both of yeah. them two because mm. uh, having just looked at pictures of like the cover art and everything yeah. just and even even the regular steelbook like cover art just mm. it looks really really good it's nice to have this kind of more niche kind of side to doctor who kind yeah. of getting that same treatment as like all the other uh stories get mm. um so yeah i'm really looking forward to it yeah yeah, exactly. It's it's going to be, yeah, I think they're coming out in the middle of June and middle of July later this year, um, the two releases. So there'll be something to look forward to alongside probably the season 22 Blu-ray, which will also be coming around that time. So June and July is going to be a busy time with the Eve of the Daleks slash Legends DVD slash Blu-ray, then the season 22 and both of these films being released as well. I feel like I haven't bought any Doctor Who DVDs or Blu-rays in months because I think the last one was season 17 box set in December. So it'll be nice to have something, you know, new to arrive in terms of uh, new releases for, for Doctor Who content, which is always a fun moment. But, well, thank you guys for a very fun chat about all things Doctor Who. It's been good fun to celebrate our first year anniversary, covering a bit of everything we do on the show, I think, in terms of Doctor Who episodes, discussing the DVDs and Blu-rays and everything around it. I think it's 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 what we do and it's been really fun to chat all about it. So that is just about it for this edition of Kavan. Um, please do check us out on Twitter at Kavan Pod, and you can also check us out, of course, if you're listening already. You might be listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but those are the places to check them out alongside on YouTube on my channel, EMS Productions, where you can always see us in vision. So hello if you're watching us on YouTube as well. Um, but that's just about it from this edition of the podcast. I don't actually know what we're going to be talking about next time, but I'm sure it'll be interesting because it's always fun on Kavan. I'm sure we're we'll talking about another Blu-ray box 
set or maybe a malign story or something like that or the history of I don't know what but we'll figure it out we'll come up with something fun and we'll be back in a couple of weeks time for a brand new edition of Kaban but until then it's a very warm goodbye.